Well, good morning. Great, great to be with you again. It's always my pleasure to uh, be here. Uh, it's refreshing to me to see what uh, the Lord is doing in your fellowship. And uh, it's, it's always great to see uh, Fritz. Fritz, Fritz uh, it always strikes me when I'm around him. He's, uh, you, you know him well. He's, he, he's just so authentic and real. And, and, he, and he has the aroma of the gospel around him that always encourages me. Well, our text today is um, uh, Galatians 5, uh, 16 through uh, 26. Uh, but actually, I'm just preaching on uh, one verse, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. But we'll read that uh, whole section, and then we're going to be we're going to be running all over the Bible today you know, as we look at this. But let's, let's read uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. I, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us now as we hear your word. May your Spirit come and apply it to all of our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So we live in a world where we're harassed, we're frazzled, and sometimes we're, we're dazed, and, and, we, and we long for peace. We love vacations, at least I love vacations, because we get away from a busy and a contentious world, and there, at least hopefully, right, we experience some peace. We feel peace when we're sitting by a a beautiful river that's flowing lazily along, or, or perhaps when you spend a whole day fishing and there's no one else around. You know, some, some find peace in, in reading a book or in, uh, or in listening to music, or, or, or perhaps you experience peace in, in hiking in the quiet woods in the mountains, or... Or, or taking a trip to the ocean and, and, and you listen to that rhythmic pounding of the waves. You never know what can, 
cause peace, right? I, I, grew up, I grew up out in the country. My dad was a nurseryman. We lived on 100 acres. But there were, there were two uh, railroad uh, lines uh, about a mile apart near my house. And I would, I would lay in bed at night, and I'd hear... I'd hear the, it was some distance away, but I'd hear, the, hear those railroad cars running down those lines, you know, and I heard it night after night. And you know that, I'd often feel a sense of peace, you know, that's kind of a strange thing, right? But that was kind of a rhythmic thing in my life, being in bed at night and hearing those, those cars going by. I was like, yeah, everything's right in the world. Everything's, everything's running the way it was supposed to be. So we, we, we value vacations, we value times uh, of rest, but none of those experiences, as, as wonderful as they all are, none of those should be equated with the biblical concept of peace. Because we see in the text we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that peace, peace is the, the peace we're talking about here, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's supernatural, not natural. It is a gift that God gives to his own. Since peace is the fruit of the Spirit, we only have true peace. What does this text say? 5.16, if we walk in the Spirit. 5.18, if we're led or directed by the Spirit. 525, if we, if we march and step with the Spirit. Or if we go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, if we sow to the Spirit. Or if we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, if we're filled with the Spirit. In other words, true peace comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to I think about with you today five different dimensions of peace. So first we're going to define peace. What, what is peace? Let's define it. Secondly, we're going to talk about a deceptive peace. There, there, there's, there's a false peace. Third, what's the, what's the foundation of, of peace? What's, what's the basis of peace? Fourth, we're going to talk about how do, we, how do we enjoy that peace? How do we experience that peace in our lives? And, and fifth, we're going to talk about pursuing peace, seeking to be at peace with one another. So let's, let's begin with defining peace. What is peace? Well, peace is the absence of conflict. It's the absence of hostility. I looked up a lot of verses in the Old Testament, but I don't need to read those to you. It's the absence of war. You know, we, we're all conscious of this. Peace was, was tragically broken recently in Ukraine when, when Russia invaded their country in one of the most brutal acts by a nation in recent history. David says in Psalm 120 about the people he was living with, maybe you can identify with this, I hope not, but this is what he says. What misery 
that I have stayed in Meshech, that I have lived among the tents of Kedar. I have dwelt too long. I have dwelt too long, he says, with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. David is miserable because he wishes he didn't have to hang out with such pugnacious, truculent, contentious, and belligerent people. Uh, perhaps you experience that at work with some of those you work with. They're, they're belligerent. Uh, they're, they're contentious. They're, they're difficult. You know, sometimes it seems like that's what's going on in, in social media. It's, it seems like some, some they want to go to war every day. Peace, peace is disrupted, right, by, by, by bickering, by, by arguing, by fighting. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1 says, Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. I have, I have celiac disease, so I can say, better, better a piece of gluten-free bread in peace than a steak dinner where there's fighting and arguing and, and contention. You know, one person's actions can shatter the peace. I remember this from years ago. Our, our kids were small. They're all grown up now. But we were at the beach. I'm from Oregon. We were in Oregon. We were at the beach. We were going to have a little lunch there. It was our family and some others. And we, we were having something like peanut butter sandwiches. And uh, it was said, right, let's, let's make the sandwiches for the, for the kids first, right? So, you know, we're making the sandwiches. But one of the adults suddenly said, I want a sandwich first. I want the first sandwich. And his wife said to him, no, I'm going to make it for the kids first. But he got extremely angry that he didn't get the first sandwich. And then he stalks away. He leaves, which I'm doing. I'm astounded at what's happening before me. But, you know, it certainly shattered the peace, right? We, we were having a great time, and all of a sudden, boy, the tension just filled, filled the air. You, you, you never know what's going to you know, cause someone to snap, and the peace is broken. You know, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It, it's a sense of, of wholeness that is described by the Hebrew word for peace. Most of you know it, right? The word, the word shalom. There, there's a, it isn't just the absence of conflict, but there's a fullness. There's a completeness. There's a flourishing that comes when there's peace. David says in Psalm 4, verse 8, he's living in a very tense situation, but this is what he says. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. Right? Some of us really want that, right? Maybe you're not experiencing that. But David says, I'll, I'll lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. It's not, it's not just the absence of conflict here, but there's a, there's a sense of wholeness here. There's a, there's a sense of flourishing. There's, there's a rest here. There's a, there's a quiet, a security that, that David enjoys because he's, he's trusting the Lord's, the Lord's protecting me. The Lord's watching over me. Psalm 72 is a prophecy 
well-being or peace abound until the moon is no more. Jesus will bring complete peace to the world. The, the, the final flourishing is coming. Everything will be right. Everything will function as it should. Everything will be at rest. So peace, right? It's the absence of conflict. But peace is also captured by the word shalom, uh, where, where we flourish as human beings. That brings us to our second observation, our second dimension of peace, and that is there can be a deceptive peace. There can be a false peace, a claim that there's peace when there's not really peace. This is the peace that the world promises, and, but it's not genuine peace. Uh, Psalm 73 verse 3 speaks of the peace, the prosperity, the shalom of the wicked. So don't, don't be deceived, right? There's a, there's a peace and a shalom that the wicked have. But that isn't true peace. It's a deceptive peace. Why is it deceptive? Because it won't last. Right? Certainly those who don't know God can have peace, but it's a peace that doesn't last. Jeremiah says about this false peace, Chapter 23, verse 17, in terms of the false prophets, this is what the false prophets promise. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has spoken. This is what the false prophets say. You will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. The world says, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to turn out okay, as long as you're a nice person, as long as you're good to others, as long as you're true to yourself. But the problem here is that the world assumes that deep inside we're good, that deep inside we're healthy, if we can only find who we really are. But God's word probes deeper, doesn't it? God's word says, in and of yourself, you're not at peace with God and you're not at peace with other people. False prophets say, everything's fine. No, no worries. Every, everything between you and God, it's good. But that's a deceptive peace. Again, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, he again criticizes the false prophet. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially. There's the false peace, right? It's superficial. They claim peace, peace, when there is no peace. Deceptive messengers of peace, they give assurances of peace to those who aren't right with God. They say everything is fine when someone doesn't belong to Jesus Christ. This happens at virtually every funeral now. If, no matter who dies, we're assured they're fine, that everything's going to be great. Uh, you know, this one particularly stands in my mind. I've used this illustration many times, but I, I've, I've always been a baseball fan, and so this goes way back. But uh, maybe some of you remember Thurman Munson was a catcher for the Yankees, and he died, and I, figured, I can't remember. It was a plane crash or something, but 
If you read about him, what did all the players say about him? Thurman was a really crabby person. <laughs> he was difficult. But when he died, what'd they say? Oh, Thurman was wonderful. He's great. Every, everything's fine. He, he, he's a wonderful person. But, you know, that, that's the false peace that is offered, isn't it? Oh, everything's fine. Everybody's going to be okay. So this raises the third question, the third point. How can we have real peace? What's the foundation for true peace? And that true peace comes through Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 tells us Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace that Isaiah talked about is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Peter says in Acts chapter 10 verse 36 that God sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So how is that peace that Jesus offers, how is that peace secured? How, how do we obtain that peace? And I want to read Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 again. That's why I chose that passage today for other reading, because that passage tells us how we can experience peace. It says, for Jesus is our peace who made both groups one, that's both Jews and Gentiles, he made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So there's hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus tore that wall down, for those who are believers, right? In his flesh, through his suffering on the cross, right? He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. So, so why isn't there peace? Because, because the law and the commands are not kept, not by the Jews, not by the Gentiles, not by anybody. So, so because we disobey God, all of us, because we all fall short, we don't have peace with God, but, those, but the regulations and commands have been set aside so that he might create in himself, that's Christ, one new man, Jew and Gentile together, we see it in this church, right? You're one new man, and it results in peace. So all peoples, all ethnic groups, male and female, young and old, we're, if we belong to Jesus, we're part of this one new man. We have peace through Jesus Christ. He did this so that he might reconcile. That's another word for peace, right? He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. So, so how do we come to have peace? Through the cross, through Jesus' death. He reconciles us together horizontally to one another and vertically to him through the cross by which he put that hostility to death. Hostility towards God, hostility towards one another is removed. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. That same truth is found in Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah tells us about the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. So our peace came 
at the cost of his death. He was pierced, he was crushed, he was punished so that we could enjoy peace with God. So what is God's word to us today? If you don't know Jesus Christ, and for those of us who know him, it's a reminder. It comes in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 5. And Isaiah says this, let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. There is nothing more important in life than this, than being at peace with God. If you want to flourish, if you want true peace, if you want rest, if you want the fruit of the Spirit that is peace, you need to be at peace with God. And you can be at peace with God today through Jesus. So I just want to say, have you ever confessed your sins and turned to Jesus Christ for that forgiveness? Have you ever, have you ever received him as your Lord and Savior? You're invited to do that today. That brings me to the fourth dimension of peace that's built on the third. If we receive peace through Jesus Christ, then we now enjoy peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have now been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this text. The peace here. It's an objective peace. The peace described here, it doesn't depend on our feelings. You, you may feel guilty. You, you may feel shamed. You may feel condemned in God's presence. But the truth, the truth isn't found in our feelings. The truth is in what God's word says peace peace is a fact if you know Jesus right peace is a fact it's it's not fundamentally a feeling and this is this is one of the great spiritual lessons of life we have to learn it our entire lives and, and it's this the truth isn't the truth in every area of life isn't what we feel but in what God's word says about us so we have to argue against our own feelings maybe even our own dreams that we have at night, right? We have to argue against our own feelings by appealing to God's good word in the gospel. Uh, you know, I think this truth is illustrated in the story of the sinful woman who came to the dinner party uh, thrown by Simon the Pharisee. Yeah, they're, they're having this dinner party, and uh, you know, at, in, in, at a really nice dinner party, they you know they they'd have their hands on their on their uh, their head on their hands, and their feet would be in back of them. And uh, this woman comes into the dinner party, right? You all know the story in Luke chapter seven, and she is notoriously sinful. Everyone recognizes it's a dinner party. She's sinful. She comes in, she starts to weep, right? Her tears fall on Jesus' feet. She, she takes her hair, seems rather scandalous, right? She takes her hair and starts to dry, dry his feet, right? And then she starts kissing his feet. I mean, the, 
they're scandalized in this room that Jesus, Jesus, now Jesus isn't saying anything to her, right? No, he's not saying a word to her. He, and, and Simon the Pharisee, especially, the focus is on him, can't believe that Jesus is allowing this to go on because Jesus is supposedly claims to be a prophet. Of course, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. She feels shamed. She feels condemned. She's publicly expressing that feeling of shame and guilt. That's a rare thing in our culture to express it so uh, outwardly. But, but the word of the gospel is spoken to her by Jesus himself, right? What does he say to the woman? Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Not, not, not your goodness. There wasn't goodness there. Your faith has saved you, but I love the next words, right? Your, and, and this is the word of the Lord to us. Your faith has saved you, not how good we've been. Go, go in peace, he says to her. He says, your guilt, and this is the word of the Lord to us, your guilt, your sin, your shame, they no longer define you. You're, you're new now. You may feel unclean. He says to the one, you may feel dirty, but that's all the past now. Now you're saved. Now you're delivered. Now you're rescued. Now you're, you're at peace. You know, that, that's God's word to us today if we belong to Jesus. Your good life, your good life doesn't save you, but, but your evil deeds don't define you either. Know that if you belong to Jesus, the God of the universe, this is an astounding thing, isn't it? The God of the universe, the God who created you, he's at peace with you. It really doesn't matter what other people think of you, right? The God of the universe is at peace with you. So, so peace is an objective reality for those who are in Jesus, but, but we also want to experience that peace. We want to enjoy it. What can we do to experience it? Well, we, we need to depend upon God to experience it. It's a fact. You know, if we're not experiencing it, it's a fact, but we want to experience it. Well, we, we pray, right? And, and here's a prayer you're very familiar with. I'm sure you say it often in this church. Numbers chapter 6. You can pray this. May, may, and you can pray it for yourself, but you can pray it for others. May the Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May, may the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and, and give you peace. So you, you can pray, Lord, Lord, bless me. Lord, Lord, I, I'm stumbling Keep me, keep me. Lord, shine the face, your face of love upon me. Lord, lift up your countenance upon me. Be gracious to me. Lord, grant me serenity. Grant me your peace. Be gracious to me today. In Romans 15, verse 13, we see that peace comes as we believe. Here's another benediction. It's interesting that these are in benedictions. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? May God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, as you believe. So joy and peace comes as we trust, as we rely on God. We ask the Lord, give us, give us joy, give us, give us peace as we trust in God. Isaiah 26, verse 3 is very similar. You will keep the mind, this is the you is God, you, God, will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. There it is again, right? You will keep the mind that's relying on you and depending on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Peace doesn't come. You know, we could try this experiment from within. It isn't self-generated. Okay, I'm going to really try to have peace. It doesn't come that way, right? We, we get peace not by looking within, but by looking out, because peace isn't something we can generate from within ourselves. In fact, it's really just the opposite usually, right? If we look within, the, the anxieties multiply. Peace comes when we turn away from ourselves to our great God. So we're at peace with God, whether we feel it or not, but we experience peace as we rely upon God, as we depend upon him, as we trust him. And, and that trust we saw is expressed in prayer. And you know the great prayer in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want God's peace to guard your heart and mind? Paul tells us how that can become a reality. We, we bring, we bring all, all our worries, all our concerns. Do you have those today? All, all our, our anxieties. We, 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 we lay them out before God. We, 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 we tell them to God. Did you notice that he says, do that with thanksgiving? Why does he say with thanksgiving? Because in the midst of our worries and concerns and anxieties, we remind ourselves, God is God, is God right? We thank him. God is God. God's ruling in my life. Lord, in the midst of my anxieties, my worries, you're God. You're God. And then he says, the peace of God that, that's, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's, it's a supernatural thing. We don't experience it all the time, do we? We're, we, we fall short. But, but, but the peace of God is ours, it's, and it surpasses our understanding. We can't, we can't put our finger on how it happens. But our hearts, by his grace, become quiet and at rest before him. So that, that reminds me of our text for the morning. The, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's the fruit of the Spirit is peace. It's, it's a supernatural thing. We can't, it's a gift of God at the end of the day. So Christ is the foundation of our peace. We enjoy that peace. But that brings us to our final observation, the final dimension of peace. As believers, we're to pursue peace with one another, horizontally. Romans 14, 19 says, so then... Let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone. Is there someone you need to pursue peace with today? Pursue peace with everyone. Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, Romans 12, 18, be at peace with everyone, as far as it depends on you. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and, and peace. 1 Peter 3.11 says, seek peace and pursue it. That, that, this is important, isn't it? It's often mentioned, so it must be important. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Yeah, we're to seek peace with all people. Recently, my, my oldest son, Daniel, he pointed out to me uh, a post on Amazon about a popular children's book, which I haven't read, uh, but I read, my son told me the description of it. It's called Be Kind, this book. Maybe, maybe you, some of you have read it. The girl in this story tries to befriend a classmate who spilled grape juice on her new dress, and she's upset. So the, it's interesting. The number one review on Amazon was written by a Christian, and amazingly to me, many, presumably many Christians, liked what this person wrote. But here's what this person wrote. He wrote this about this book, Be Kind. This book is full of diversity and inclusion, but it is actually very exclusionary. One of the many books that includes examples of showing kindness to a Muslim and to a Jewish rabbi, but no Christian is mentioned, who are the majority of the English-speaking world. This is an all-too-common theme in books of recent years. Diversity is good, but the intentional exclusion is not. Do not purchase if you're a Christian or not a Christian, but agree that this form of proselytization is a major contributor to the fall of Western civilization and values. No respect at all for the religion that created it. Is that the way we present ourselves as Christians to this world? With that kind of combative and critical spirit? Does a response like that reveal the fruit of the spirit? I don't think so. That, 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 that kind of posture in the world, that kind of being in the world is, is I don't think is the same thing as Jesus is calling us to when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. What does it mean to pursue peace? Consider your relationship with your spouse or, or, or your close friends or your roommates. Disagreements and criticisms mark every relationship. We are all in situations where if we refrain from saying something, if we refrain from defending ourselves, if we refrain from having the last word, that's super hard for me. I don't always follow what I'm saying here, right? You know that about preachers, right? If we refrain from having the last word, we preserve peace. We may, we may feel better about ourselves if we speak, but in doing so, we, we, we disrupt the harmony in our homes and our relationships. Pursuing peace means that we don't always have to defend ourselves, that sometimes we take criticism, even if we think it's unfair, that we don't always have to have the last word in order to preserve peace. We should also pursue peace on social media, which I already mentioned, right? Of course, there's a place to speak, I, I, if, if, if the truth of the gospel is at stake, right? If biblical standards are at stake, there's a place to speak. Just as there are times, right, where we're justified in defending ourselves, 
Living life means using spiritual wisdom. We don't have any finally rules on these kind of things, do we? Still, when something is posted that we find annoying or even untrue, often the wisest thing to do is just to ignore it. We, we can feel a surge of self-righteousness and putting another person in their place and telling them they're wrong or in liking a controversial and contentious tweet on a Facebook post or on Twitter, but we may disrupt harmony and unity in doing so. We should ask ourselves, I ask myself, right, is it really necessary? Is it, is it really kind? That call to peace isn't just individual, but it also is corporate, isn't it? In Ephesians 4, Paul emphasizes our unity as believers. We're one body in Christ. There's one faith, one baptism, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit. And we're exhorted in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't create unity in the church. It already exists, right? We saw that in Ephesians 2. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled to God in one body. We are one already through the cross. Christ has made us one. He's unified us through the cross. We're, you're, you're, we're family. You're a family here, right? But we're to maintain the unity that already exists, to guard that unity, to prize that unity. And uh, Fritz mentioned this verse, and it's in my sermon as well, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ to which you are called in one body. Rule in your hearts. Did, did you notice, that's not just individual. In fact, the focus is corporate. You're called to that in one body. Let that peace rule in your fellowship. So that's, that's an admonition for, for you, isn't it? So let that peace rule corporately in the church. It's a very serious thing to disrupt the unity and the peace of the church. And, and we're to let peace rule in our fellowship. That peace can be broken when minor things or disagreements can begin to divide us. I think, I think many of our churches failed. We go to Christ for forgiveness, don't we? I think when, when we had divisions over something like masking, that we, 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 we couldn't work that out at times in some churches. Or, or, or it can happen when, when, when we're hurt, right? We're hurt when we're, we're passed over for something we, 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 we think we deserve. Or, and I, I have no reason to think this is happening in this church, but um, I, think, I think when pastors, uh, uh, I say this a lot, I'm a seminary professor, I talk to a lot of pastors, but you know in churches often, when a pastor first comes in, churches churches uh, will often really love their pastor at first because they see his strengths and they're really excited about his strengths. But you know, as the years go on, you begin to see his weaknesses, right? You begin to see, as you live together, you begin to see, oh, well, this is where that person isn't as strong. And then you can begin to become more critical of those things. But what, what does it mean to live in peace? It means we, we recognize one another's weaknesses where we're not as strong. Marriages work like that too, don't they? And we continue to love one another. We can, in a church or in a marriage, we can begin to pick, pick, 
pick at each other. And it disrupts that peace. Peace is maintained when we overlook the weaknesses of others and even overlook their sins. It takes wisdom when to do that. But what does 1 Peter 4, 8 says? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't only cover a, a few sins or only some sins, but a multitude of sins. Peter recognizes we sin against each other in many ways, but love and peace are maintained when we cover the sins of others, when we overlook them for Christ's sake, we overlook them for peace's sake. So we close. We remember what I said earlier. If you know Christ, if you love Christ, if you belong to Christ, you're at peace with God. Whether you feel it or not, you're, you're at peace there, there's nothing more wonderful than that. Let, let's ask God to give us the grace to enjoy that peace and to live out that peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we not take that for granted. May you fill our hearts with joy. And Lord, we do pray that we would experience and enjoy and flourish in that peace. And that peace would mark our lives individually and corporately. And I pray for peace and flourishing and well-being at Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.